In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Yeah, I'll tell you, one of the things that I want on my, I've, I've often joked that I want my headstone to say, he got stuff done. And maybe not even necessarily the word stuff. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your host of the show. Guys, today we're interviewing a guy that wrote a book that I really loved this book. This is a fiction book that talks about the statue of David and how we as men can basically chip away at the best version of ourselves. You're really going to love this interview. Uh, it's a little bit on the shorter end. It's short and sweet and powerful, man. But before we bring Chris on the show, I want to read one of our hero stories. Now, remember, you guys are the hero of this ministry. The impact that we have on your life, we want to hear that impact. We want to hear your victories. We want to celebrate that. Whenever we do receive a hero story from you and we use it on our podcast, if you just hit us up with your address, we want to send you some swag. Today's uh, hero story comes from a guy named Zach, and Zach writes this. He said, I've just started listening to your podcast. It's opened my eyes on how to become a stronger Christian man, loving husband, and a father. I'm doing the Bible study in a year, and I'm about to finish as we close out 2021. Next year, I plan on doing the New Testament in a year along with reading my Bible. Your podcast intro has really spoken to me, calling men into the arena, calling men out of the faceless bleachers, and calling men up to be the best version of themselves. Which, that's really cool, man. Thanks, Zach, for that. I'm more of an introvert who will lean back and watch and not stand strong when needed, but I'm learning to be more upfront and bold in my leadership. Zach. Thanks so much for that hero story. Hit us up at menarena.org with your physical address. So we can ship you some swag. So guys, send us your hero stories. We want to honor you. We want to put you on display. And guys, as we move into our man law today, I want to share a simple man law. It's very, very simple. Uh, it's a little bit, um, these are meant to be funny, but they're also meant to illustrate how confused we are as men. And if I ever use your man law, again, send me your address to menarena.org. I will send you some swag. This man law is simply never, ever send a text or a message to another man with an emoji attached, unless it is some kind of hand gesture. So it's okay to include a hand gesture, but no other the, 
blowing kisses emojis, none of this stuff. And so now I know what's going to happen. I'm going to be inundated with thousands of messages from you with little flower and heart and blowing kisses emojis. But just know that you're breaking a man law. So anyway, hey, guys, if you have a man law and you want to share it, uh, we just want to do that for laughs. We're going to put these into a book at some point, and you can have access to all of the man laws, global man law book. Anyway, hey, guys, I'm excited to have our guest on today, Chris Widener. He is 55 years old, lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's been named one of the top 50 speakers in the world and is a member of the Motivational Speakers Hall of Fame. And he is a former pastor, so I love that. So we are both former pastors. He's the author of 22 books that have been translated into 14 languages. Chris, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, I'm excited. Hey, in your bio, you said that you had a rough childhood. Can you uh, give the guys some context into who you are? Tell us a little sure. bit about that rough childhood and, and things you enjoy in life. Yeah, sure. So my dad um, was did pretty well. Um, he was the fifth partner at an architecture firm called NBB&J, which is one of the world's largest now. At the time, they had about 150 architects when I was born. Um, he did all of their accounting. He was the CFO. He did all their accounting with a, a, an abacus and a slide rule. Isn't that hilarious? This wow. 40 years ago, that's what people were doing uh, all their math with. Uh, and, a, and a 10 key, of course. But anyway, he died at the age of 41. My mom had to sell this wow. house, which recently sold for $3.2 million. She had to sell it because she couldn't afford a $400 a month mortgage payment because my dad, even though he was making 90 grand a year in the 60s, he had $30,000 with life insurance. So that began a downward spiral. I had no male role models in my family. My grandpas were basically gone. My brother was 13 years older than me, and he moved out of the house and then married a girl who didn't like my mom. So I didn't see much of uh, him. Um, I began to get involved in drugs. Uh, my mom went into real estate. She um, uh, moved us around a lot. She flipped houses. So I lived in 28 homes and went to 11 different schools. I don't oh, know why wow. she didn't. I don't know why she didn't flip homes in the same school district. Um, <laughs> but she shipped me off to live with my relatives twice: once in the fourth grade, once in the ninth grade. Uh, started drugs in the sixth grade, and then I became a Christian the summer before my senior year of high school. Ended up uh, eking my way out of high school. Uh, got into Bible college, got a youth and family degree, moved to northern New Jersey. I was in a very, very, very wealthy uh, town, wealthy church, um, and I got taken under the wings, uh, under their wings of a few of some of America's biggest and best businessmen. Um, the, my first business mentor was the CEO of Mars Candies, um, a little $35 billion a year company. Um, but great Christian men, uh, and they taught me the they taught me that you can be very successful in life and still be a Christian as long mm. as you honor the Lord with your life and your wealth and and your influence. And so, uh, I was a pastor uh, in Seattle for uh, eleven years from 1991 until 2002. Started three churches for the Christian Missionary Alliance, and then I started writing and speaking full time. I ended up uh, being taken under the wing of a guy named John Maxwell. I oh yeah. I ghost wrote for John for about a year and a half, two years. I wrote his nationally syndicated column. That led to me working with a guy named Jim Rohn, who is yep. uh, very, very well known. I wrote Jim's last book called 12 Pillars. And um, many people know uh, Jim through Tony Robbins because Jim gave Tony his first job when he was 17 years old. And then I ended up uh, being mentored and working with a guy named Zig Ziglar, very yep. strong Christian man uh, who was in the motivational speaking world. I ended up having a TV show with him that you can still find on YouTube. Um, and uh, and it was called True Performance. People say, how long ago did you do that video with uh, 
with Zig. And I said, about 30 pounds ago. So, <laughs> so anyway, that's sort of the short, uh, that's the short version of how I got here. That's exciting, man. Well, I, I didn't know your story, so I'm glad to know it now. So, you know, you know, we read a lot of books for this podcast and I got to tell you your book, the angel inside was, was so enjoyable for me to re read. I read about 90% of the books uh, are nonfiction. So your book is a fiction book that has uh, truth, a lot of truth woven through it. I really did appreciate it. And it, it started a lot of questions for me. And so well, I'm I don't ask know if you noticed on, I don't know if you read the cover, uh, the endorsement from Zig Ziglar, but that is the first fiction book Zig Ziglar ever endorsed in his life. In fact, it was the first fiction book he had read in about 70 years. Yeah. And Tom convinced him to read it. Zig always said, why would I read fiction until I've read all the true things? Yeah. And, uh, and so he, Tom got him to read it and said, Dad, you got to read this book. And he read it. And I wish I would have kept the voicemail. I got a voicemail from the legendary Zig Ziglar telling me that he was going to give me the first fiction book endorsement he'd ever given in his life. And uh, I wish I still had that audio. Well, yeah, he died several years ago. What year did he die? Uh, probably 10 or 12 years ago now. He he and Jim yeah. Rohn died both in the early, uh, like around 2009. Yeah, their stuff, I'm still reading their stuff. Oh, so yeah, it's, it's timeless. It's still out there, it's timeless. So, well, The Angel Inside. So tell us the story about the book and then give us a backstory with uh, Michelangelo, a little bit of his story, this, this famous piece of marble and the yeah. hands that pass through. Just kind of lay the foundation. Well, so God has different ideas for us sometimes. I had been a speaker. I wrote the book in like 2002, 2003, 2004 in there. And um, <clears throat> so I'd been a speaker for 15, 16 years. I'd written a couple books and I was relatively moderately successful. So I said to myself, I want to write a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling book. That was my goal. And I had been ghostwriting for John Maxwell up until that point. And then I, and a number of other people as well. So I decided I didn't want to ghostwrite anymore because I felt like I was giving all my best ideas to somebody else. Yeah. So I decided I wanted to write a best-selling book. So that was my goal. It was purely pragmatic. I just wanted to write a best-selling book to help my speaking career. Well, there was a book out at the time, <clears throat> so I knew it needed to be unique. There was a book out at the time called How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, and the Da Vinci Code was very famous as well back then. So I thought, Da Vinci, well, I don't want to write a book on Da Vinci, but I knew that Da Vinci lived in Florence, Italy in the early 1500s, as did a number of other pretty well-known famous people. Mm -hmm. Raphael uh, was in and out of Florence, um, but the three primary folks that lived there for the bulk of the time was, um, of course, Da Vinci and then um, um, Machiavelli. Uh, most people don't know that in the early 1500s, Florence, Italy was sort of the birth of citizen legislature. And of course, Machiavelli was in the citizen legislature and he talked about politics and he wrote a book called The Prince, which is basically yep. about how to deceive people. So I didn't want to write as a Christian. I didn't want to write one on, on you know, Machiavelli. So that left me with Michelangelo. So I thought, well, I, want, I didn't know much about Michelangelo. And so I, uh, I did six months worth of research. I read books. I watched videos. I watched movies. I watched uh, Irving Stone's The Agony and the Ecstasy about him painting the, uh, the Sistine Chapel starring um, Charlton Heston as, uh, as Michelangelo. Probably not the best uh, person to put in there. That's Michelangelo. It seemed a little strange. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but so anyway, um, and so I decided I was going to write this book. Okay, I'm going to write it on that. There, I, I wanted to find life lessons and I found enough. 
And then I got two pieces of advice from guys that I think really just random piece of pieces of advice, but I took them. And I really believe that it was partly what made it a bestseller. So one of them was from Charlie Tremendous Jones. And I don't know if you know Charlie Tremendous Jones, but Charlie Tremendous Jones was a contemporary of Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn's. And you've probably heard the quote that in five years, you'll be like the five books that you read and the five friends you hang around with or the books you read and the people you hang around with. Most people credit that to either Zig or Jim. It was actually Charlie Tremendous Jones. Charlie owned a company called Executive Books, and Charlie was the biggest promoter of reading. He was the guy, I think, that invented the idea of paying your children to read books instead of doing chores. So Charlie says, and Charlie was about six foot five. 300 pounds. First time I ever met him, he had to have been about 65, uh, probably about 75 years old. And I walked up to him at a conference and I said, hey, are you Charlie Tremendous Jones? And he said, I am. And I said, uh, you and I have a mutual friend. And he said, who? And I named the mutual friend. And he said, he's a brother of mine. Did you know that? And he meant Christian. And I said, I did know that he's a brother of yours. And he said, are you a brother of mine? And ah. I said, I am a brother of yours. And now I'm not a small guy. I'm 5'11", 225, right? All of a sudden, I find myself being picked up by a 75-year-old man. He puts his hands under my underarms, lifts me up to I'm face to face with him, you know, lifts me six inches off my feet with literally just sort of curling me like this. And he, he plants a kiss right on my face, just like that. Mwah! Any brother of his is a brother of mine or something <laughs> like that. He was, he was one of the most, you, you got to look him up and watch some videos. He's one of the most unique guys you've ever met in your, in your life, passed away now. But he says to me, Chris, make the book short. Nobody reads big books anymore. So I thought, short, okay. So I went into a Barnes & Noble in Bellevue, Washington. It used to be an old bowling alley and a big, big Barnes & Noble. I walked to the business section. I picked up a Ken Blanchard book because I knew that Ken Blanchard books were, were short business books. I opened it up. I counted the words on one of the pages. I multiplied the pages and it came to 20,000. So I said, all right, I'm going to write a 20,000 word book. So very, very scientific model here yeah. to write a bestseller. The second one was a guy named uh, Mark Sanborn. And I don't know if you know Mark or not, but he's a very well-known uh, leadership speaker, past president of the National Speakers Association. He's a member of the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame. Um, great guy. And he says, you know what you ought to do? You ought to make it fiction. And I went, huh, okay. So I took both those pieces of advice. I made it short. I made it fiction. And so I created the backstory of the young man meeting the old man and the old man teaching the life lessons of Michelangelo. And, um, and I got to tell you, I've written 22 books. My 23rd comes out in, in 2022. And this is the only book I love. Mm. I like all of my books and I'm proud of all my books. And I think all my books have helped people. The Angel Inside, at least at this point, point in my life is sort of my life's greatest work. It, uh, which is, which is the irony of it, right? I started out with just this pragmatic, I'm going to, I'm going to become a bestseller. What do I need to do? Just give me the formula. Yeah. Let me make it work. And it became a book that is so profound because it combines history. It combines storytelling. It combines religion. It combines art. It combines uh, geography. Uh, it, it, it includes, uh, you know, the history of the Renaissance and uh, just very, very, and yet it's very readable. 
And, uh, and it's the book that I still, you know, 17, 18 years later, still get emails from, from people saying that book changed my life. That book made me quit my job and start my business. And now I make a million dollars a year, you know, just all these kinds of things that I hear from people. So um, Angel Inside is my favorite book that I've ever written. And uh, it's been published in 14 languages, uh, just got picked up in a, another language last year. Well, you know, the, and that is the book about Michelangelo's sculpture, David. And so we all know that sculpture and you talk about several truths throughout that book. And I want to unpack several of those. The first truth of that book is there is an angel inside of you. Can you talk us through that? Yeah. So interestingly enough, and this is the history part, it also includes a lot of, you know, actual history. That marble that became the David was considered, um, it was considered sort of iffy because it was relatively thin, even though it was really long. And so a lot of people were afraid that once they hit it with the chisel, that it would just split. And so it sat in a workshop from before Michelangelo was even born. It was yeah. initially commissioned to someone before Michelangelo was even born. He kind of fiddled with it, never did anything with it. So it just laid there for decades. Michelangelo was born. It was given another commission to somebody else. Michelangelo grew up. He became sort of well-known in uh, in Florence for doing a little relief called the Battle of the Centaurs, which is really kind of a cool little thing. That got him invited to come to Rome, where he did uh, a statue called the Pieta, which I actually think is his most beautiful of all of it. And it's it's profound. It's 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 um, it, it overwhelms you. I've actually stood in front of it in in, in uh, the Vatican. It's the mother Mary sitting there with yep. the full grown Jesus across his, across his, uh, across her lap, uh, dead. Um, the, the interesting thing about the Pieta is, uh, this, another funny little story is Michelangelo never signed anything ever. Um, and so he did the Pieta. It was placed in the Vatican. He went back to Florence and people started saying, Hey, have you heard about this new statue that so-and-so did? It's called the Pieta. And he was he was so filled with ego, he went back down to Rome and he got up and in the sash across Mary's chest, he wrote the name Michelangelo. Oh, how funny. It's the only piece he ever signed. And it was because somebody else was getting credit for it. Well, that brought him back to, to uh, Florence where they asked him to do uh, the David. And then he, of course, that allowed him to do the Sistine Chapel later on in life. But the David was interesting. The, the title, The Angel Inside, comes from this idea that um, a, it's a sort of an apocryphal story. I'm sure it didn't really happen. But a little boy walked up to Michelangelo while he was chiseling on, on uh, the David. And he said, why are you hitting that rock? And he said, there's an angel inside and I'm setting it free. Mm -hmm. So if you think about that, that the, the statue David was always in there. The marble maybe didn't look like it and didn't look like it was good. And the other guys couldn't see the David in there, but Michelangelo saw the David inside this piece of marble. And so then he just had to set it free. And it's it ties into the story of the real life David when Samuel is told to go to Jesse's house and find the next king. So he shows up at Jesse's house. He says, hey, God told me the next king is one of your sons. Can you bring him here? So he brings them all there. And uh, he goes, Ooh, nope, it's not him. Nope, it's not him. Nope, it's not him. Nope, it's not him. And he looks at Jesse, goes, are these all your sons? And Jesse says, well, I mean, I got this scraggy little, you know, 14 year old out, but he's taking care of the sheep. And so Samuel says, well, bring him here. So he brings David there and David says, or 
Samuel says, this is the next king of Israel. Mm -hmm. And of course the brothers were, you know, what are you talking about? And they're already ticked off, you know, cause this kid's always stealing their thunder, like showing up at their battle and uh, saying, why hasn't anybody taken the giant out yet? Give me a couple rocks. I'll do it. Um, you know, so the brothers, they're, they're not big fans of David at this point, I don't think. And then of course the, the dad, Jesse was shocked as well. And Samuel says to David or says to Jesse, he says, man looks on the outside, mm -hmm. God looks on the inside. So there's that analogy, right? Man looks on the outside, God looks on the inside. Most artists looked on the outside, Michelangelo looked on the inside. And so he saw the David, uh, even though it didn't appear as though that marble was really great, it ended up becoming arguably one of the three greatest statues of human history. You know, yeah. maybe the Venus de Milo, I don't know if you count the Statue of Liberty as an actual statue, um, <laughs> but, you know, the thinker. There's very few statues that are known simply by naming them, um, and and the David is one of them. Well, and part of that story is the second truth, that he followed his passion. So Michelangelo was not expected by his father to be who he was. Can you explain that? Yeah, so um, being an artist was actually not considered to be, uh, you know, a great job, yeah. right? It's kind of like still to this day, you know, if 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 you tell your parents, I want to go to college and become a uh, a doctor, your parents are like, oh, he's going to become a doctor, our son the doctor, our son the attorney, right? Well, he says, I want to go be, it'd be like saying, I want to go be a comedian, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. How are you going to get paid? How are you going to be able to afford a family? That's what it was sort of like, be like comparing a comedian to a doctor nowadays. So nobody wanted him to go be a, a politician. And here's what I always say. If he would have done what his dad wanted him to do, if he would have followed his dad's vision for his life rather than his vision for his life, we would have never heard of Michelangelo mm -hmm, ever. Mm -hmm. ever. He would have been a random citizen legislature if he even got elected. But he left home, I think, at the age of 14 and went to uh, he, he got taken under the wing of, of a, a great artist and uh, they fostered his and, and empowered him to to become a great artist. And he became Michelangelo Bonarotti, the arguably one of the top two or three artists of all time. Well, so when you look at the statue of David, the book brings this out. I had no idea. So this statue was a portrait of a period of his life that was very important. And in that book, you talk about this third truth, which is being confident in your strength. What yep. time period was this statue a depiction, a depiction of? So the David is, and if you've ever been there, it's, it's really amazing. They actually have one in the gallery at Academy, and then they have one outside in this sort of big open air thing where they have all sorts of statues. It's really cool in Florence. We actually do wine and food tours to Florence around the book now. Uh, we've been there a few times, but um, you'll, those of you who remember the David, he's actually holding a sling. And th so this is him standing there and it's before he killed David. Um, because he's holding a rock in his hand, right? So he's looking. And the idea was they wanted to get, get him in that pose because they set it at the front of the city gates and they wanted people who came to realize, we're ready. You want to try and maraud this town? Here we are. We're here. We got our slings yeah. and we're ready to go. So it was sort of because most statues of David at that point had been post-killing of Goliath. Most of them had the head of Goliath either in the hand of David or at the foot of David. This was done before. Uh, 
And so, it, and, and when you look at David's face, it really is a face of confidence, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is, is being confident in your strength. So here's this 14 year old boy. He goes up to the battle. He doesn't even know what's going on. And he shows up and here's this nine foot Goliath out there yelling, you know, about what rotten people the Jews are. And David looks around and goes, who's this Yahoo? And, uh, and he's like, well, none of you guys are going to fight. I'll fight him. So they're like, all right, let's let him have a chance. So they try to put Saul's armor on him. Well, it's way too big because he's a kid and Saul's a grown man. So he, you know, he's, he's just completely like a fish out of water. So what he says is, is look, here's how I take care of the sheep. Just give me a few rocks in my sling and I'll take mm -hmm. care of this old boy. And so, uh, so he gets comfortable with what his strength is. He didn't feel comfortable, you know, with sword fighting or wearing big armor and clunking across like a kid wearing his dad's shoes. You know, he felt comfortable with a sling and, a, and he picked up five rocks. He only needed one. Mm -hmm. um, and he let fly and right down the square of the guy's forehead and down he goes. So the idea is, is, you know, pursue your passions, obviously, um, but operate out of your strengths. Don't operate out of your weaknesses. So I have a personal mission statement I wrote 30 years ago, and, and it is that I will use my writing and speaking skills to help other people turn their potential into performance to succeed in every area of their life and achieve their dreams. So as I'm deciding what I'm going to do with my career and with business opportunities and things like that, the first thing I run it through is my mission statement. Yep. I will use my writing and speaking skills. If it doesn't include me writing or speaking, I really don't do it because I want to operate out of my strengths. Um, you know, and we've, we've started a, a, a big tour that we're doing now. We've done a couple of events. We're going to take them all over America. And I partnered with a couple of guys whose strengths are putting on events. And yep. so, you know, we had 2000 at our first event. We had 3,600 at our second event. We're just getting bigger and bigger. And, and I tell people it's because they've done events for years and years and years. Right. And somebody said, wow, you guys are killing it after just two events. I said, well, it's two of these events, but they've done thousands of events. So I'm great on stage as a speaker. I MC the event. They're great on putting on these events. And together, when, when everybody's operating out of their strengths, that's when it really moves forward, which is why in your local church, God gives everybody different uh, strengths and, and spiritual gifts so that we can work together. And it's together, you know, you got one guy can preach. You got one. You don't want your preacher counting the money. You don't want your money guy counting, giving the sermon, right? Yep. Yeah, for sure. One's really great at running the church budget and the other guy's really great at you know, giving great sermons, let everybody do what they're supposed to do. And that's when the organization and the group move forward. So uh, this fourth truth deeply impacted me, but then it also brought a question in my head, which isn't in your book. And I'm going to ask it just because I have a question about it. The fourth truth, I'm not a detail oriented guy. So a lot mm -hmm. of the mistakes I make are overlooking the details. So this really kind of redirected me. Uh, the truth is there find the beauty in the details. So now when you look at the sculpture, the detail in this is exquisite. It's, it's, it's bar none, but here's the question I have. Yeah. And this isn't in your book, but I know, you know, the answer. So you said that David, when he saw Goliath, you know, he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Right. He said yeah. that because he was Jewish, which meant he would have been circumcised on the eighth day. Yeah. There are two things with the statue that trouble me. The first one is he's not wearing any clothes. He's butt right. naked and right. he's not circumcised. So I, I'm, I don't understand that. That had to have been strategic on Michelangelo's part, but why have a naked David 
and one who's uncircumcised. Did you did, did you ever learn anything about that or why he did that? No, I and actually I <laughs> uh, and I didn't even know that he was uncircumcised. I didn't even really think about it. Um, but that's interesting, yeah, because he would have David would have been circumcised at that point. I don't know. That's an interesting. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to figure that out. And now. he would have had a loincloth on. So that's why I'm going. Okay, you you know Michelangelo, you're you've all this exquisite detail, but you've left out. And I know he, you know, it just didn't make sense to me. So well, I-, I do know that there, there was a, there's. I've done a lot of reading about um, about the way Greeks would do their statues. Greeks are very big and powerful and yeah. muscular, and you know those kinds of things. And they feel like that he was influenced a little bit by Greek, because not necessarily true that David would have been this big, you know, massive, muscular kind yeah. of guy. He's yeah. not built. He's not built the way a lot of the Greek, uh, you know, sort of god ones are. But definitely, probably a little more muscular and bigger than he would have been um, in real life. But that's an interesting question. I I didn't know that. I'll have to I'll have to do some. Well, because when I read that, when I read the fifth truth, which is the hand creates what the mind conceives, and you talked about how the head was larger and the hands were larger. I'm like, well, clearly the penis isn't larger. And, you know, and I was like, there's something going on here. Why do I even see a penis? You know what I mean? So, so, so this, this, I I do have to tell you this, this is, I've done thousands of interviews. I think first time the word penis has ever come up in any of my interviews. Well, I mean, I I have, you know, and we're talking to men though. So all the men listening are going, Oh, he said penis, you know? Um, But I just, I, it just struck me as really odd that somebody who yeah. spent so much detail would be biblically not accurate. That, in the, that's true. You know what I mean? So anyway, yeah. the, but the fifth truth is uh, the hand creates what the mind conceives. He purposely made the head bigger because it was 13 foot tall statue, but he yeah. wanted to be proportionate, but he wanted the hands bigger for a certain reason as well. Can you explain the head and the hands? Yeah. So there are people that believe that he was trying because in the book, I I actually quote the sonnet that Michelangelo wrote. Michelangelo wrote some things as well. He's not as well known for that, but he did write some things, some sonnets. And one of them talks about this connection between the the mind and and the hands. And basically that the mind has to conceive it but your hands has to create it. Yes, so yes, it's, yes. It's, it's maybe figurative. I mean, it is literal, right? You think, oh, okay, I want to build this little thing, and then you build it. But it's also figurative in that it is a non-physical world created by a physical world, right? You, how do you take the idea? Like every great business started as an idea. Microsoft started as an idea. Yep. And, you know, at one point, Bill Gates turned to Paul Allen and said, we should start a company. It's just a little electrical impulse. A thought is really just an electrical impulse. It exists as an electrical impulse. And then it's our hands that creates it and builds it. And it's the physical world in which it becomes a reality. But it all starts, you know, God thought of us first. And then he said, let there be light. Yep. You know, so, but it started as a thought and then let there be light. And then he created it. Absolutely. Well, so that, that leads us to our next truth. And, and this is really good because, you know, the angel inside would have never been exposed to the world without the seventh truth. And I love the way you phrased it in the sculpting process. At some point, the hammer has to drop down. And so in other yeah. words, start with swift action. Can you walk us through that truth and how fear can hinder that? Yeah, I'll tell you, one of the things that I want on my, I've, I've often joked that I want my headstone to say, he got stuff done. And maybe not even necessarily the word stuff, Um, because one of the things that I'm really proud of is, is that I, when I say I'm going to do something, I'll do it. 
Uh, six months ago, I hadn't even thought about this conference tour that we're doing now. And I, I called some friends up. I said, let's do it. And we decided to do it. And I have another friend who called, called me up a couple days before the first event. He said, you know, I just got to tell you, one thing I've always admired about you for the 25 years I've known you is a lot of people stand up and say, we should do this. And you're one of the very few I know who actually then goes and does it. And frankly, I believe that it's the difference between most successful and unsuccessful people. Yep. Most successful people literally just started. And you're halfway there if you just start. Because if you don't start, then you're never going to get there. And uh, and fear does play a lot into it. Fear can play a, 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 you can be afraid of failure. You can be afraid of success. I remember when I was a 14-year-old kid, my mom was working at Group Health Hospital in Seattle. And um, she worked with this guy. All, he was 45 years old. All he did all day long was filed um, medical records. What a boring job. Yep. All day long, just walking into a room, putting files in all day long. So he decided he wanted to make some money. He borrowed $7,000 from his rich uncle. This was back when I was 14. Borrowed his money from his rich uncle, and he bought the license for the Pacific Northwest for a self-watering flower pot. I'll keep the story about as quick as I can. He comes to me and says, hey, you want to make some money? I said, sure. And he said, I'll pay you a dollar for every pot you sell. I said, okay, great. Now, he thought I was going to go door to door and knock on every old lady's door and sell pots one, two, three at a time. I decided to call up uh, a major um, homes goods store. This was before Home Depot, before Lowe's, before any of these. They were regional. And this one had, I think, 140 stores in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Alaska. So I call him up and I go, I got a self-watering flower pot. I'd like to come down and demonstrate it for your folks. They said, great. They were based in Seattle. My mom took me out, I think probably to Ross Dress for Less, bought me a blue blazer and dropped me off on the corner in downtown Seattle and said, I'll be back in an hour to pick you up. I marched in. This guy was shocked to see a 14-year-old kid in a blue blazer that was too big for him. But I showed him the self-watering flower pot. He put some water in it. He worked the dial and he went, wow, it actually waters itself. Okay, I'm in. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll do a test. I'll do a year-long test. I'll take uh, 20, I'll take 20 uh, stores out of all our stores. I'll test them in 20 stores. I'll take four boxes each every month for 20 stores. So figure this out. If you do the math, there's, call it 25 in every box. It was 24, but for the math, four for every store, that's 100 times 20. That's 2,000 a month for a year. I sold 24,000 flower pots. So I go back to work with my mom after school one day and I walk in, I go, Hey, I sold some flower pots. And he goes, really? How many did you sell? And I said, 24,000. And he, I kid you not, he was so afraid. He called the company up, gave up his rights, got his $7,000 back. He was afraid of success. Wow. And it was just shocking to me. So people can be afraid of success. They can also be afraid of failure because people just don't know how to handle that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's true. Well, so, so, he, so he starts with a swift chisel strike to the to the piece of marble, which leads yep. to the eighth truth, which is something I think that these young guys listening to our podcast right now, by young, I'm talking, you know, I'm 56 years old. So anybody under 35, I'm going, man, that's a young guy. Me too. Me too. These young guys, they, they just want to have it and they want to have it now. So your eighth truth is embrace the stages. And you talk about chipping, sculpting, sanding, and polishing. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, everybody wants to come out immediately and look great. 
Well, it didn't. The David didn't look great for. I think. I think it took over a year to, yeah, to actually do the work. Right. Twenty eight so months. First, I think you said in the book. That's right. Twenty eight months. So the first thing you have to do is you have to chop just chop off big chunks. Right. When you come to Christ, there's just big chunks that need to fall away. Yeah. You know, maybe you're drinking or sleeping around or whatever. Okay. You know, bomb. They just go right. They're gone. You know, maybe you're dealing. Maybe you're whatever you're involved in. Right. Big chunks, because those are the easy ones. Okay, I need to stop doing this. That's out the door. I'm following the Lord now. Well, then you also have to have some sculpting. You have to do the little bit of sculpting in there, and you got to get to the finer details of what God wants to do in your life. And then the sanding comes next, and the sanding is rough. It's where they take something rough, and it, it, it hurts. You don't like it. You don't like the sanding part. You don't want to do that. But it's what you have to do in order to get to the point, now you can polish it up. And now you polish it up, you put the oil, you put all that stuff on it, and now it looks beautiful. The problem is, is nobody wants to go through the chipping, the sculpting, and the sanding. Everybody wants to go right to the polishing. And, you know, the Bible is clear. Some very famous verses, you know, James chapter 1, verse 5, I believe it is. Maybe it's verse 2. Consider it pure joy, brethren, when you encounter trials of various kinds, because we know, yep. right, this yep. is what it produces. Um, you know, and 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 uh, troubles produce perseverance, perseverance produces character, character produces hope. Everybody just wants the hope. They don't want the they don't want the negative experiences, the hardship to get them there. And I think that's a great lesson. Well, and we live in a world where comfort is king and pain is the enemy. And I think yeah. biblically and realistically, the opposite is true. You know, you don't get healthy without pain. You don't have longevity without doing certain things, making decisions against yourself. And this is a real problem, which leads to, and we're running out of time today, but it re leads to, I'm going to combine our ninth and 10th truths from this uh, sculpture, which I just really love this book. Ninth truth is be, is be content. And the 10th truth is simply no one starts with a Sistine Chapel. So how do yeah. those relate to these guys wanting to be their best version in life? Yeah, so we have to be content. Jim Rohn always used to say, pursue everything you want, while being content with what you have. And the Apostle Paul said, hey, I know what it's like to be rich. I know what it's like to be poor, right? I know what it's like, but I can I can be happy and content in everything. And so I believe that contentment is something that's very important for us to, it, it doesn't mean that we're not ambitious because God was ambitious. I wrote a book called The Image. And in there, I talk about how God is an ambitious God. He says, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna create an entire universe. That's pretty ambitious. My people are lost. I'm going to send my son down there. He's going to die on a cross. I'm going to win the entire world back. That's pretty ambitious. You know, when you think about that, we should be ambitious, but we need yeah. to be content. And then lastly, the last one being uh, no one starts with the Sistine Chapel. Sort of goes back to the one we were talking about. Everybody wants to start out polished, right? Well, most people would know the Sistine Chapel. Fewer, probably less, the David, and then still fewer, the other ones that he did. Sistine Chapel is pretty famous. A lot of people know about mm -hmm. it, but that's not where he started. He had to start with little tiny ones, and then he had to start with a bigger, you know, go to a bigger uh, objective of art, and then he had to go to a statue, and then he had to go to a bigger statue, and then that's when he was offered the big job. And I just look at so many people's careers. You get to the bigger things later on in life because you prove yourself in all the smaller things. Absolutely. You know? and, and, and that's a principle from God. Though to, to those who have been faithful with little, they shall be faithful yep. with much. No, I love that. Well, you're, so your first first truth was realize there's an angel inside you. Second truth, follow your passion. Third truth, be confident in your strength. Fourth truth, the, this is the one that hurt me the most. There is beauty in details. Fifth truth, the hand creates what the mind conceives. Sixth truth, plan and prepare. 
Seventh truth, start with swift action. Eighth truth, embrace the stages of chipping, sculpting, sanding, and polishing. Ninth truth is be content. And of course, the 10th truth is no one starts with a Sistine Chapel. And I want to go back in the last couple of minutes we have to the sixth truth, which is plan and prepare. And you said something I want to end with today. Most people never plan for the kind of person they want to become. Yeah. You know what? I call them tumbleweed people. <laughs> They're like tumbleweeds. They, you know, think of an old Western, everything's just empty and it just blows down the middle of the street. And then the wind changes and it blows down the other street. Nobody, most people spend more time planning their vacation than they do their life. Oh, for sure. And the fact is, is they need to learn how to plan their life. They need to learn how to plan their business. They need to learn how to, you know, plan all these kinds of things. And instead of just drifting through life, and I think especially as Christians, and I know some Christians say, well, wait a minute, the Lord's in charge of my life. And, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Well, I would just argue deductive reasoning. Why'd God give you a brain? You know, we just going to wake up every day and go, okay, God, drop a manila folder and tell me what to do today. No, he also gives us a brain. And he gives us the ability to strategize. He gives us the ability to use deductive reasoning. He gives us the ability to, to compound thoughts and, and all of those kinds of things. So I think it's imperative for Christians to take that aspect a little more seriously. Hold it loosely because God may have different plans for you. Hold it loosely. But come up with your plans and commit them to the Lord and the Lord can make difference, uh, difference for you and different plans. Absolutely. Well, he gave us the Imago Day. We have a soul, a living soul, which separates us from the animal kingdom, which gives us the ability to determine our destiny, which is what, what is your why? Guys, what is your why? What is your why? It is not to drift. God gave you a brain. Use it. Guys, these 10 steps are super helpful. Chris, and think about the book of Ephesians. I guess I can close with this Bible verse yeah. last. Book of Ephesians, make the most of your time for the days are evil. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of stuff to unwrap there, right? Make the most of your time. Well, how are you going to make the most of your time? And it's an active verb. He doesn't say, I'll make the most of your time. He says, you make the most of your time. Well, how do you make the most of your time? We have to think about your time. And then you have to say, how am I going to make the most of my time? So just, just if you unwrap a Bible verse every now and then, you'll figure it out. Right? Absolutely. Well, hey, Chris, thanks so much for coming on. How do these guys get a hold of your resources and follow you and your uh, Absolutely. ChrisWeidner.com. ChrisWeidner.com. They can reach me at Chris at ChrisWeidner.com. They can follow me on uh, Facebook and it's uh, Chris Widener Speaker. Follow me Twitter, Chris Widener. They can find me. Just type my name in. They'll find all sorts of ways of getting a hold of me. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Sure appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Great day. Hey, Chris, thanks for taking the time to share your wisdom and experience with our men in the arena and for being a man in the arena yourself. Guys, what's next? What will you do because of this episode, what action will you take? Let's get our boots on the ground. So here it is for today. As 2022 is just now kicking off, if you haven't done this yet, I want you to pray and ask God to show you who he wants you to become in 2022 and what needs to be chipped away. Once God shares that with you, grab the hammer and take swift action, and start chipping away. Guys, make 2022 the greatest year of your life. And pick up a copy of my free book, Tell Them What Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters, and that's available at menarena.org. No matter where you live, I want to ask you, no matter where you live around this world, go to the button on our homepage that says Join Our Program. Sign up to join one of our many virtual teams. We have a team launching 
this month. So get signed up ASAP. Let us help you to become your best version. The only cost of signing up is you buy the study book. That's it. We're not charging you a hundred plus dollars a week to sit at my feet. We are just saying, come in, sit at the feet of one of our many volunteer national team captains and grow as a Christian community as you study our resource material and become your best version. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.